The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin FC's 1-0 win over Minnesota United. We're going to preview the upcoming DC United match, and then we're going to cover a relatively busy week in Austin FC news where... Uh, some big results from the Austin FC Academy teams. We had Cecilia Dominguez's indefinite suspension from the team and then a few other pieces of news. My name is Landon Cottom and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And so when we, when we opened Patreon up, we told people they could ask questions. We told them they didn't have to be related to soccer. And I don't remember if we've gotten a lot of other non-soccer related questions, but we did get a beautiful question from Devin Scott this week that I think will serve well as the show opening. Yes. So his question was, how many marshmallows could you fit in your mouth? And my response back to him was what size marshmallows? And he (laughs) said, it's open to interpretation. Make this part of the discussion. So let's, let's, let's dive into this. All right. I'm going to say like regular size marshmallows, like that you would, cook and put on a s'more i'm gonna say i'm gonna say six i think i could do more than that i could go with i think i could probably fit eight of those in my mouth and then what about the the mini ones the little well that's that's kind of what i wanted to talk about i think the mini marshmallows are kind of garbage and like do you do you get a different texture or flavor out of different your different size marshmallows i honestly don't like marshmallows that much oh Okay, I think I could put 20 of the mini marshmallows in my mouth. <laughs> I was going to say the exact same number. Okay, 20. so we're there. But so yeah, maybe, I li- maybe another like uh, Patreon reward or some type of um, competition that we enter ourselves into that could be uh, part of the exhibition of it is you and I have a marshmallow stuffing competition. <laughs> stuffing competition, yeah. I did want to get into a little bit about the <clears throat> s'more. So you don't like marshmallows at all, like even in s'more form? I like them in a s'more. Uh, but I would, they have to be like properly melted and cooked all the way through. And so what does properly melted and cooked all the way through for you mean? Um, I don't, I don't know some people like catch them on fire, but yeah. a lot of times the inside is still very firm. And so I like to slow roast the marshmallow. So that way it's like soft all the way through. Yeah. I like that too. That's, that's exactly my style. Like I need it completely blackened on the outside but almost as if the insides have turned to liquid. And it's hard to do that and not have it fall off your s'more implement, right? Because like it eventually starts to break down. But yeah, that's really what I wanted to talk about was what your favorite kind of s'more was. And I know that, what, that's like, what all of our listeners want us to talk about too. And that, that's why they tune into this show. <laughs> that's exactly what they're looking for. Hey, it's <laughs> Devin's question. It's not our fault. Yeah, so if you would like to become a member of our Patreon, you can make us answer questions like this or about whatever else you want. And I I met a lot of people uh, on the way to and then on the way back from the stadium the other day. Well, I had several people just come up and, and say, like, hey, I, I like the show and like chat with me for a bit. And several people s- said, I've been meaning to join the Patreon and I just haven't done it yet. It's like, well, now is the time to do it. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're one of these people and you said you've been meaning to join the Patreon, stop whatever you're doing right now. Go and join it. Uh, I'm going to be leaving town next week, so I'm going to try to get all of the rewards in the mail before I leave. And so those should be sending out soon. So if you want to get in this first shipment of rewards, join this week and I will do my best to get it to you. What a beautiful plug for that. Yeah, so you can have more of these types of questions. Or you can have more of soccer-related questions, and you, the listeners and patrons, are the ones that define what goes on on this show. All right, let's jump into some Austin FC news, Jeremiah. So we finally have some details on the U.S. Open Cup, which uh, we did our best to explain with as many details as we had now, but now we know where the game is going to be, we know when the game is going to be, we know who the game is against. So tell us uh, a little bit about that. Yes, we will play on Wednesday, April 20th at San Antonio FC. And we thought it was going to be at 7.30, but I actually just saw that it's going to be at 8 o'clock kickoff in San Antonio. Uh, There's a lot of... I've seen posts from both both Los Verdes and Austin Anthem. There's going to be a pretty good traveling squad. It should be a good time. Uh, And this will be the third round match, which is the one that we enter in. Uh, If we win, we will go on to the fourth round, which will be in May. Um, I guess the big question is like, what should we expect out of this 
Austin FC lineup? Um, I honestly don't know. Uh, partially because of Josh Wolf, and he's been known to surprise us with lineups in the past before. And so I could honestly see an entirely rotated 11 with 11 guys who have started zero or maybe one game this season. I could also see a partially rotated team with four or five starters in there. And then we try to rotate those guys off after 60 minutes or so. Um, I see the merit in both of those things. I think our second 11 should be able to beat or at least compete with the USL side for 60 minutes until we can throw a starter in there. Uh, but that, I think that strategy could be a little risky. And so that's why I could see Wolf going the other way and say, okay, we'll start um, four or five starters kind of spread throughout the team. And hopefully we can get an, an early jump on them and then we can rotate those guys out so that they get some rest for the league game on the next weekend. You know, one thing when I was thinking about this, um, if you were going to go with a second approach and you were going to go with just a rotated 11, like who, who do we have that you would put on the bench that can provide like sort of an instant spark or offense in the way that like Liverpool does this in cup games a lot where like Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah are sitting on the bench just in case they're needed. Like, and they can create like an instant change in games. I don't know who, who Austin FC has that could do that. I mean, I think um, Diego Fagundes, Maxi Ruti, and Sebastian Driussi are kind of the obvious picks for me as far as just like um, spark guys, like guys that'll bring on instant energy for you. Uh, but I mean, even like depending on what the game needs, I, I don't imagine they'll leave many players at home just because if, if we are flying across the country for a cup game, that's a different thing, but they're going to drive down the road an hour and a half or whatever it is. And so I think maybe if there's someone who has a really hard game this weekend and has to run like crazy, maybe they wouldn't put them on the match day squad, but I would guess maybe they'll leave off a couple of, prime starters from the match day squad and the rest of them will be there just in case because it's not going to take a lot of them a lot out of them to to make that trip yeah that's a really good point it's an easy trip down the road so hopefully we'll see or i'll see a lot of you down there um so like i mentioned if we win the the next round the round of 32 is uh, on may 10th at 11th and the draw will be on april 22nd so if we win we'll know pretty quickly who we're going to compete against um and this is still regional in this round so what they will do is in the next round, divide uh, up into eight groups of four, sort of geographically, and still again try to try to play somebody that's within your within this Texas region, um, even in the fourth round. And I think it, it gets a little more open after that. And it, at this next round, they will not try to separate MLS teams away from each other. Correct? It's just kind of an, an open whoever at that point. Yeah, yeah. At that point, all the MLS teams will enter because there's still uh, I think eight eight MLS teams who aren't even in the tournament yet because they were the highest finishers. And at that point, then it's just like an, an open draw. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to some of the bigger news of the week, which is the Cecilio Dominguez story. So Cecilio Dominguez was um, indefinitely suspended from all activity with the team the other day. Uh, they are MLS is doing an investigation into potential off-field misconduct, um, we don't want to presume anything about anybody until we have all the details, uh, in including the club. I, it seems like Austin FC is fully cooperating with this. And in the press release that came out, the language that was in it made it seem like Austin FC maybe even initiated this investigation and we're providing information to the league about it, uh, well, which I, I think gonna, is, is good to see. Yeah. I was going to say one of the things like Austin FC put out their own press release just minutes after, uh, major league soccer did too. Like we got one right after that that was clear about that. So it was good to see them taking ownership of it, not just in being incited and what the league put out, but putting out putting out their own notice. Yeah. And so um some some background, which is a little bit sensitive here, and we want to preempt this a little bit with that we have no idea what this investigation is about. We have received zero information. We have heard zero information in like any back channels. And so, but I think it's important to give some context to some of the stories that are, that are floating out, floating around out there. So Cecilia Dominguez has some dropped 
domestic violence charges from 2016 in Paraguay. Um, we have no indication that this is a similar incident. Like I said, there's been no information pointing toward what this is even about. But um, I think that there are certain types of misconduct or certain offenses that would be uh, forgivable kinds of things that, okay, accept your punishment and then we'll welcome you back into this team. The fans will probably welcome you back. There's some other things that would probably not be forgivable. And a lot of those things are um, are the types of things that uh, MLS would investigate like this. So I would like to believe that our front office would have done the right thing like they're doing in any case. But if they, if they had any doubts about it, Portland Timbers had a recent event where uh, their player, Andy Polo was um, charged with, or I don't know if he was actually legally charged, but there was an incident of, of domestic abuse in his household and the Timbers were essentially caught trying to cover it up. And they got kind of a slap on the wrist this week, which uh, most people think that the punishment was nowhere near what it should have been. But um, if Austin FC was looking at that situation and knowing uh, knowing this, this fan base, get, having gotten to know this fan base like they have the last couple of years, um, I imagine that they would want to get out in front of something like this because they know that this fan base is not afraid to to hold them accountable for something. Uh, if if they think they've done something wrong, but um, I, it seems like they're doing everything right, providing information to the league, um, cooperating in this investigation. So if I was talking about kind of like forgivable and unforgivable offenses, if Cecilio is guilty of one of these forgivable offenses, like I said, uh, take your punishment, come back in, work your way back into the team. Uh, if he did something unforgivable, that's another thing. Um, I think we've had some people ask us, like, if if it is the worst case scenario and and Cecilio Dominguez is not welcome back into this team, like what is what recourse does Austin FC have? So I spent a lot of time today kind of digging in to to some of that. Um, what I was able to find, I think a lot of stuff that was circulating was some of the things that are listed in the. MLS collective bargaining agreement. And, and some of the things that are listed are things like uh, substance abuse, gambling, uh, some other things like that. I was able to <laughs> look at several documents over the last few years of uh, collective bargaining agreements and the MLS constitution and found an older version of the, the CBA, which mentions the substance abuse and behavioral health program. Uh, SABH for short. Um, I think a lot of people would look at that and assume it only has, it only deals with drugs. It actually covers any uh, criminal misconduct as well, falls into that category. And so if, if a player is uh, found guilty or at least proven to have done one of the things that falls into one of these categories or is uh, some type of criminal misconduct, the league actually has the um, has recourse to essentially void that player's contract with 24 hours notice. And so if a, like in this situation, if it is worst case scenario, uh, they could essentially tear up his contract within a day and not not really owe, owe the player anything. As far as what happens after that, that was more difficult to find out. Um, I know Jeremiah, you did some research and were trying to find other instances where like players were essentially charged with a crime and were released from their contract. And there's not there's, a lot of instances of this, at least on public record anyway. Right. There was there was no there was not one that was directly directly like that where it happened. I mean, there were guys that did performance enhancing drugs and got caught and were suspended for some games. There was uh one just uh, like illicit drug. Um, but they were all, but nobody had their contract revoked, right? They were all temporary suspensions. There was one domestic violence thing too, and it seemed like the player was suspended uh, pending an investigation, and then they just—I I can't remember the name now. It was got in 2014 in Columbus, and they just kind of let him go, and that sort of ended that, you know. So there was, there's no directly, 
I couldn't find an evidence of something that was like directly related to this situation to give us any guidance on what might happen as as far as like would a DP spot open up or not. And I, you read the roster rules, and so did I. And that's one of those things that is not very clear. Yeah. So I would assume that the DP spot would open up, and we would be free to fill that over the summer. Uh, one thing that makes me doubt that assumption is that if you were to buy out a contract of a designated player or any player for that matter in the middle of the season, if you do it before the season, you can fill that spot. But if you do it during the season, you do not get any uh, any kind of cap relief. You do not get to fill that spot. Uh, you just have to wait until the next year. And so because we're in the middle of the season, I'm not sure where this situation would fall on that rule. Um, like I said, I would assume given the circumstances, we would be free to fill it because we're not under any financial obligation to the player anymore. I think that's generally when you're looking at rules uh, about what you're allowed to spend or not spend, it's usually put in place by some of the cheaper owners who don't want to be forced to spend more money than they have to and want to keep other teams from spending more money than they want them to. And so by like signing a DP and then buying them out and then be able to sign another DP. That's essentially like what Real Madrid can do, except instead of burying them on your bench, you're buying out their contract. And so this is not that situation, right? So because of that, I would assume we would be able to fill that spot. But again, there's no clear inf info on this. Yeah, it's all it's all speculation at this point. In the post-game press conference, um, they started it off by saying before – introducing Josh Wolf saying like, don't ask questions about this because we're not going to say anything. Uh, but if any, anybody who <laughs> paid attention to any press conferences last year, you all know that Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle is never afraid to ask a hard question. <laughs> he asked a question about it. And uh, Josh Wolf said, essentially, that's not something we discuss. And even when asked, um, like, what did you tell your team about it? What did y'all talk about it? And Wolf essentially said, we're not like, I'm not talking about that. Sorry. And so no info out of the club. Um, I'm hoping it, it gets wrapped up quickly for everybody's sake. Um, I mean, just you see like the, the camaraderie in this team, like, you know, like if it ends up being something bad, like those guys are going to feel hurt by that. It's these guys seem to be very close at this point to have one of your teammates uh, not only kind of betray people personally, but to betray the team and really hurt the team in a, in a real way like this. Like um, I hope that they're able to kind of rally back from that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great thing that they built. And I mean, it does, you're right. It seems kind of fragile too at the same time. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk a little bit later about um, kind of the effect that that had or didn't have on the Minnesota game on Sunday night. But uh, first, let's jump into some some of the more fun news of the week, which is the Austin FC Academies. They're playing at the Generation Adidas Cup in Frisco, Texas this week. Uh, this is a a big tournament. All of the MLS Next teams are playing in it, and then they actually brought in quite a few international teams. And so uh, the U15s beat the Celtic U15s uh, 2-0 the other day. And then the U17s beat Santos Laguna 2-1 on Sunday. So both teams starting off really well, defeating international competition. It's I think they've had this tournament for, I can't remember exactly when it started, but it's been going for several years. I think international teams generally win it. And so to come out and beat two like pretty historically big teams, at least on their first team side, um, that's a, a really great start for for Austin FC. Yeah, and Micah Burton had a really good game against Santos uh, also, right? He really did. I, I actually watched all of that one. Um, I didn't get to see the U15 game, but I did watch the 17s play against Santos and uh, Micah Burton looked the part, man. Like they were hype. They, they, they're doing a really great job broadcasting it. So it's, uh, David Goss from extra time and writes for MLS soccer.com and, uh, Bobby Warshaw, who was a former player used to work for MLS soccer.com is now doing, um, 
a podcast where he interviews Greg Berhalter around international windows and gets like hour and a half one-on-one interviews with Greg Berhalter and does a great job. But I have a lot of time for both of those guys and really enjoy their thoughts on the game. And so hearing them talk about, um, talk about these players, they were hyping up Micah Burton and saying like, this kid is supposed to be good. Let's see what he can do. And at the end of the game, they're like, yep, he lived up to it. He's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, and I noticed you speculated on why Owen Wolf wasn't with the U-17s in that game and whether it was due to like the uh, the fact that who they were playing against, whether he was allowed to or not. And then lo and behold, that night we found out exactly why he wasn't with the U-17s. Yeah, so I he wasn't on the team. I was, I was curious to see if he was going to get to play. I looked at the rules. I don't think Owen would be allowed to play in the tournament because of his – he's too, essentially two days too old to play in about half of the competition – that the U17 team is going to play in this year. Uh, if he were two days younger, he could play in all of them. And so I kind of assumed, oh, yeah, he's he's just not going to play because of that. And then turns out he's on the game day roster and then gets um, popped up and got in the game six, six or eight minutes in the game. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk about that here in a second. Another um, exciting bit of news is uh, Ervin Torres was called up to the U15 national team again. I think the last time he went in, it was kind of like Micah's first couple of call-ups where it was just a camp. This time they're going to play games. So it's going to be uh, three games. And wh- where is that that tournament going to be at, Jeremiah? It's in what says taking place from April 20th to May 2nd in Italy, Slovenia, and Croatia. All right. So I assume that it's it's a one that moves about. From the name, I thought it would have been all in Italy, but that's not that's not the way the press release read. That's pretty wild if they're if they're traveling with the U15s in the three different countries, but that that'll be some great experience. But um, awesome to see that that Torres impressed enough in those camps that they're calling him in now to to actually play in these games. So uh, exciting days ahead for for the youth of Austin FC because um, I haven't watched the the 15s a ton yet, but in the 17s, like Micah's not the only player on that team. There's some other guys that can play. So. Um, that are a year older than him. So, and then some of the younger guys are great too. So, I think there's going to be quite a few guys making waves in the next year too. All right, well, it's good. It's good to see him getting those call ups. And before we get into the Minnesota United game on Sunday, let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll be back and talk about the match. Hey, Landon, let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors, and you can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And I believe they're still doing some... um, some farmers markets so farmers markets catch them, yep catch them out catch in the around. wild too yeah and i want to send a shout out to my uh friend who came to the game with me greg who's like a super fan of the show happened to run into aaron von flayton once in his moon tower shirt and like talked about fef law and then also is like stocking up on teardrop pepper company hot sauce and he's he's a big fan of the golden habanero i'm a big fan of greg because he came and found us at hop squad the other day and just handed me and my mom a bowl of beer so yeah, that's a pretty good deal, too. <laughs> you can use offer code GOLD, that's G-O-A-L, to save 10% off your order. Put it on everything. They'll make more. All right. We are happy to be doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. And this one be, will be for the match on April 23rd. To enter for this giveaway, go to MoontowerSoccer.com, then click on free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or you can click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form there. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Mutower Soccer is brought to you by the aforementioned FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I just saw that they had a group of folks who run the Cap 10K, the... uh, the biggest 10k race in texas which i also ran on sunday um and when i was in packet pickup i ran into um i I tried to run into fogelman 
but he was like moving so quickly through it and picking everything up like I never saw him. But I did appreciate the FBF cap and t-shirt he was wearing. He's disappeared the distance in front of me. <laughs> always on brand, always on brand. You can go to fvf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. All right, we are back. Let's talk about the Austin FC win over the weekend. So uh, they won a nervy 1-0 game at home against Minnesota United. Uh, That keeps them unbeaten at home this whole season. So I think they're three wins, one draw at home so far and put themselves back up in fourth place in the Western Conference. So I think they were in eighth before this game and jumped back up to fourth. So I think this is kind of the point in the season where those standings start to mean something. Yeah, I think they start to matter a little bit because you can't jump around quite as much after every match. I mean, it it, it takes a while for for it to all play out, but it's a good place to be. The other weird thing is that I was looking, you know, if the season season ended today, which there's obviously, what, 32 games left or whatever. But remember last year, all six of the California and Texas teams missed the playoffs. This year, five of those six teams would be in the playoffs because right now both LA Galaxy, LAFC, Austin... Dallas and Houston are in the top seven, along with RSL and Nashville. So that you could talk about you talk about how this league like has parity and can change on a dime. Like it's a pretty good testament to that. Yeah, absolutely. It's still a long road to go. So I don't think this means anything necessarily as far as like who will make the playoffs, but I think there's enough of a sample size now to say like these are the teams who are doing pretty good right now. As opposed to three games in, like it doesn't really mean much. But I think now it's starting to, to shape, take shape a little. Uh, so <laughs> I saw a tweet on uh, the uh, last night after this game that kind of s- summed up this game for me. It's from Gabriel, who's at Hello Gabriel with three O's on Twitter. And he says, We don't always need to win with champagne football. Sometimes boxed wine football does the trick. And then uh, I appreciated John A. Schultz's addition to that and he just typed frenzy of football that's a perfect description there was this whole deal about in los verdes slack last night about being like a casserole like a thing that nobody really likes and everybody brings to the table too which i thought was a pretty good description of it (laughs) yeah so uh a very frustrating game at times there's only one shot in the first half and then several opportunities in the second half that we just were unable to finish and so um, I thought this was quite funny, but uh, our friend Brock Williams posted this earlier today that uh, that, that he appreciated the whoever made the highlight video for Austin FC was kind of trolling a little bit because they almost always start those highlight packages with the first kickoff of the game, and so it went from the first kickoff, and then you expect to see some highlights, but it goes first kickoff. And then fade to black and then straight to the second half kickoff. <laughs> no highlights in the first half. So I believe each team had one shot on, or no, sorry, one shot total. No shots on goal in the first half. So um, I don't, although it wasn't a good game, I don't think it was a boring game still. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I made the mistake, like many people in this country, of watching Liverpool versus Manchester City at 1030 in the morning <laughs> yesterday. And then after having watched that 2-2 performance uh, and then going straight into the Austin FC versus Minnesota United, um, I was not super excited. But, you know, I think a lot of that first half was a function of the way that Minnesota was playing, right? I mean, they just like sat super deep and just were happy to let Austin take possession. And, you know, we had everybody was everybody was up high for Austin. It was just there was just like no space left to to make any kind of connection other than you know, a few, uh, a few line breaking plays where just nobody connected. Yeah. At moments with 70% possession at one point in the first half and, uh, moving the ball well, getting into good spots. And then we would just try to make like a, a long switch and just kick the ball into the stands or just pass the ball out of bounds or do something stupid. And just like over and over and over that we just like, already a team that's going to be tough to break down and then we're shooting ourselves in the foot on top of that and so it was yeah it was very frustrating um my my memory of the first half was like just ethan finley giving up when he's like running and there's like three different times where this like where he was running on a ball and he just like knew he wasn't going to get to it and just kind of like stops and 
starts walking back. And I felt felt like that missing connection. That was evidence of the missing connection in the final third, like for sure the whole first half. Yeah, quite a few moments where we had some like good balls over the top that were just a little too heavy and just couldn't get there. And so um, there's one really good one where uh, I can't remember how it got there. Somebody wins the ball, plays it up ahead to Aruti, who immediately drops it back to Driussi. As Aruti kind of checked two to get that ball, the center backs followed him, and Diego takes off on a run, and Driussi sees him and just first time puts it over the top, but just puts it a little bit too heavy. But there's a few different chances like that that could have could have led to something. Um, second half was a little more um, effective action, but I this second half almost killed me, Jeremiah. I don't know about you, but I did I did not enjoy this soccer game. No, it was a it was a mess. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't wait to talk about the goal because like seeing it live, I didn't appreciate just the chaos that that whole sequence was after going back and going back and watching it. But then, man, I mean, yeah. I don't understand what the formation was exactly. And it was like a track meet. It probably after I think what 65 or so, yeah, you know, it that's just became it, like, like ragged and back and forth for both teams. It was not uh, settling at all. Yeah. The last 25 minutes, I thought I was going to die. Like I, my parents went to the game with me and I think I probably scared them. And I, I'm sorry, <laughs> mom and dad, you had to sit beside me during all of that. I was not a fun person to be sitting beside and I did not have fun watching the soccer game. And when the, the final whistle blew and we were ahead one nil, I did not have a feeling of happiness or joy. It was sheer relief. Like, thank God this stupid game <laughs> is over. <laughs> and how did you feel? One of the other parts of that is like when we get to 90 and there's six minutes of extra time. I know. Added time. Like, how is this even possible? Especially after the referees, thankfully, nobody wanted to see any more the first half. So the the whistle blew like exactly at 45 minutes. Yeah. And then, yeah, they just wanted to see the chaos continue in the second. <laughs> yeah. So we luckily did get that goal in the 58th minute. So, yeah, we need to talk about the, the chaos that you mentioned a bit ago. So, uh Sebastian Driussi wins the, like a loose touch off of Will Trap, slides in and pokes it away, and Diego gets it on the left side, goes in, tries to flick it over to um, like in the box, doesn't really connect with anyone. Uruti goes in for a challenge. I don't know if it was one of the left side defenders, either Kamar Lawrence or Dubasi. I'm not sure who exactly he went in for, but a kind of hard challenge, but it was 50-50. Both of them were going in for it. Aruti goes down trying to draw the penalty, uh, but the ball kind of like squirts out to the out wide and Ring picks it up out on the out on the wing. And everybody's kind of like slowly resetting. Hector Jimenez um steps up to the top of the box. Rings find him finds him there. All the while, Maxi Ruti is still on the ground. And so Minnesota has numbers back, right? There's like five or six defenders in the box. And two of them walk right past Aruti on the ground. Nobody's marking him because he's on the ground. And so whenever Jimenez receives it, Aruti stands up right where he was laying, maybe takes one step, and Jimenez plays it in like pretty hard to Aruti's feet. And Aruti turns and hits it out of the air and and uh, swats it past um, St. Clair for the, for the goal, but uh, I didn't realize how good of a finish it was until I watched the replay. It was a, a really nice strike from Ruti there. Yeah, it was. I mean, he didn't have a lot of time pre- to prepare it too, like you said, because he basically gets up off the ground, gets service, and smacks it in. It was a, yeah. a well-played shot. It was pretty comical how little he moved after he stood up. <laughs> he stands up, takes one step, hits it into the goal. <laughs> and so, okay, I want to make a clarification from either last show or a couple of shows ago, um, we talked about Uruti's last goal being a half volley. I I was corrected on Twitter by Nick Cowell, who I believe is a soccer coach himself, a listener to the show. He was telling me that that was actually a volley, that a half volley is when you get like that little baby bounce off the, off the ground and you kick it right after it bounces. Um, apparently there is some like some dispute on on these definitions. I I I thought I had always heard 
a half volley being after a bounce. Um, but apparently, if you just hit it out of the air, according to Nick Cal, it is a volley. And so this one, because it didn't bounce at all, there's no doubt in this one. This one was absolutely a volley that uh, Aruti hit. But really nice goal from Maxi there. Uh, a couple of minutes later, we saw some subs come in because, like you said, there's a lot of running in this game. And some guys were starting to look a little leggy, which in this game was concerning because if if you don't have the legs to put in the kind of effort you need to on a given play, it could end in disaster for you. So um, some pretty interesting subs. But uh, so we bring on Johan Valencia for Ethan Finley. And so I see that one and I'm confused and wondering what's about to happen. <laughs> and then the next two subs, like, okay, maybe they're going to bring in like a winger for uh for a midfielder and it's like didn't do it like, like for moved, like and, yeah uh but then i look over to the sideline and it's like those are fullbacks standing over there is gallagher gonna play on the wing and then they hold up the signs like nope both fullbacks are coming out so they took out jimenez oh we didn't even say this but hector jimenez started in place of nick lima in this game um and so they bring off jimenez and kolmanich bring on uh, Nick Lima at right back, John Gallagher at left back. And then they move Alex Ring out to the right wing. And so uh, I thought it was an interesting play. It ended up shaking out. And like, I mean, Alex Ring was floating wide quite a bit in the first half anyway. They, Minnesota was doing really well to clog up the middle. And so uh, Josh Wolf talked about in the post-game press conference that he trusts Alex and uh, Driussi to kind of find the space. Like, that's their role is not to stay in that half space, but just to see what the the defense is giving and taking and move into those spaces as you need to. So uh, he was often end up wide and Ethan Finley would push inside a little bit. Yeah. And that was and, like a very non dogmatic position from Josh Wolf, which I appreciate. It's like, yeah. cause you know, as you hear, we hear so many times about this rigidity and in this point he was talking about when you have the guys you can trust, you can trust. And, you know, the timing was a little bit weird because of the goal, but you know, they were they were warming it up at what like fifty three, fifty four. He did also talk about how it was very like at sixty minutes he was bringing on new fullbacks. I think maybe because he knew this is how the game was going to go, so it was just like a coincidence of timing that those substitutions happened right after the goal. Yeah, and I mean, I the fresh legs were an asset for the rest of the game. Lima and Gallagher, I think especially Gallagher was involved in a lot of moments that. Uh, really helped us finish this game out. And I Gallagher is still like not quite a fullback. I think he's getting there. But in the moments when he gets caught out, he's fast enough to make up for that mistake. And so uh, I thought a, a really good performance there and, and a good substitution. I, I think the, both of those guys were key in finishing out the game. Yeah, they were. So I think the next moment that I had written down was the, uh, I think it's 65th when Michael Boxhall like body slam Julio Cascante. <laughs> yeah. And got a, but he didn't get a yellow initially, right? Like, well, it looked like, so I kind of caught the tail end of it and it, I was like, it kind of looked like somebody got body slammed, but I didn't quite see it all. And I looked around and I don't, I don't think there were any officials in a spot to have been able to see it very well because the near line judge was the deeper one. And so they were 75 yards away. The other one was looking through a crowd of players in the box after a corner kick. And then the other guy was the, the main official was turned around looking the other way. And so I don't know if they had like VAR tell them to give a yellow or if he actually did see it. But um, Brad, Stu Brad Stuver was pretty adamant about it. Like, did, did you notice that? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, they ended up giving box all the yellow. That guy is an SOB, man. And he's he's good at it. Um but yeah, I, th I think the, like I said, the last 25 minutes, there were two goal line clearances. Um, One from Boxall. Yeah, Boxall cleared. Whose shot was that? It was a, it was a Maxi Aruti shot. It was one of his last, maybe not one of his last actions before, oh, but it was an Aruti shot. He chips St. Clair and Boxall peels back behind and heads it off the line. Um, and then Diego clears a shot off the line. I think it was on a corner. Uh, like they played the, the corner in hard and somebody headed it down 
and Diego is, was there on the back post and clears it off the line. Um, a few moments where playing it out of the back goes wrong. Uh, one of which Brad Stuver like kicks the ball out wide and kicks it too low and it bounces off of a Minnesota player. He runs out and steps in front of another Minnesota player, grabs it. The ball slips, bounces off his leg and bounces out of the box. And so he just keeps chasing it and it ends with him slide tackling a player 35 yards out from goal. <laughs> that was crazy. That's also was Will Trapp was running around without a shoe for like five minutes, I think. Oh, I missed that. During that. Yeah. Yeah. Trapp's shoe comes off and he's just like has one shoe in hand. <laughs> one shoe. One of his shoes like is on one of his boots is on his hand and like the other one's on his foot. And he's just running around for a bit, like trying to get the game to stop and nobody's listening to him. We got the Alex Ring bicycle attempt, which looks like it really... Like he almost hurt himself trying to yeah. do that. Yeah. So there's a few moments that um, it it almost felt like players were being like a little too unselfish at times. Upon watching the replay, there were fewer of those moments than I thought. Um, at the angle that like I could see from my seats, there were three or four moments that I thought players should have just they were close enough and had a good enough angle. They should have just smashed it on frame and hoped for the best and, and instead tried for a cutback or something. After watching the replay, I think there's a few of those where um, seeing the angle they had, it would have been a very low percentage chance. And so uh, a little less frustrated about some of those. That being said, I think there were still a couple of moments where guys could have just taken a crack at goal and instead tried to square it or... Uh, Diego tries a dummy one time at the top of the box um, when he could have just hit it first time and put it on goal. He tries to leave it for Juicy on the backside and it gets deflected and ends up leading to nothing. So um, it, I just wish they could find that balance, you know, like of when to be creative and when to just like calculate, calculate that XG in your head. And just say, like, this is good enough. I'm just going to smash it. And we saw that last week, too, right, with uh, that that chance that Ring had um, when he could have hit it back post. But um, we ended up squeaking out the win. Uh, I did not feel good about it until the last 10 seconds, but we we did it. (laughs) Yeah, a win's a win, and we move on. And it's a kind of, you know, going back to last year, I feel like that's a kind of match where we would have found a way to give up two goals in that sort of frenetic last 25 minutes and drop one at home, 2-1. And so I think we're now seven wins, one tie, one loss in our last nine matches at Q2. So we continue to build on this idea that we're going to have a home field advantage. So all in all, a successful result, no matter how stressful it was in the moment. Yeah, so um, I wanted to loop back and talk about some of the other subs that came on. So particularly... Uh, I'll, I'll save some time for Valencia here in a second, but Owen Wolf came on and got, I think, six minutes in this game. And then Danny Houston got 11 or 12 minutes as well. I thought both of them did a good job with the, the limited time that they saw. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I really, as much as we've always like given Danny Houston a hard time, it was really kind of heartwarming, to, like with everything he's gone through. And the work he's done in the offseason to see him get the chance to get into the game and make a little bit of a difference. And he looked, it made me look like he belonged. Like he looked like maybe he can, maybe he can add something when he's got a little bit um, more time. I mean, he moved well, um, seemed to be good spaces. So I was, I was impressed with him. Yeah. And he was fighting with those center backs. Like um, Minnesota has a really physical back line. And he was in there bodying up to guys, taking up space, which, I mean, he was sent in to do a job at that point in the game, right? So. Uh, and I think he did it well, but he looked he looked energized, looked motivated. So um, hopefully he can kind of take some of that momentum and maybe get some more minutes, maybe in that Open Cup game uh, and and turn it into something. Because um, as as good as as it is that Aruti has scored in the last two games, competition at, at center forward is always a good thing. Um, and then Owen Wolf. I mean, I, I wish I want to go back and and try to like isolate this a little bit but you the the sideline mic picks up what josh is telling him as he's going onto the field and I, he says something about fouling guys i think he essentially told him like 
kind of what I assumed you would be telling him in that moment, like go run your little 17 year old legs off and like smash into people and just like make this game dirty, like make <laughs> it ugly and finish it out. And I thought he did a good job doing that. And actually had one moment where he played a ball into the box, like a cutback um, that like somebody had to lunge to, to stop. I don't remember who was at the top of the box waiting for it, but uh, played a really dangerous ball at one point as well. But I thought Owen looked good. Um, is there any other, I think that's all the subs. I, Valencia. I want to, I want to talk about Valencia with the rest of the midfielder in, here in a second, but yeah, are there any so, other, any other more like uh trivial or smaller moments in the match you wanted to hit on before we go to our bigger takeaways? No, I think we held <clears> on everything, everything that I had sort of had, had written down other than the, some of the individual player moments. And I'm really like more the positional groupings and kind of where we think we are. Yeah. So, um, I've seen some people maybe say like hinting at the fact like, Oh, we don't need Cecilio. He's not that good anyway. Uh, I want to push back on that. I think we could have used Cecilio Dominguez in this game. Um, there's moments talking about switching the field and isolating guys. Uh, I think Diego does a good job in those moments. Finley, I know like in his past, he has been good in these moments, but he's not the kind of guy. He's more of like that transition guy or like the long ball in behind guy. He's not the kind of the, to like face up with someone and just take them one-on-one. -on -one. And in a game like this, having someone who can do that would have been really valuable. And so I, th I think the good thing is like, we don't run our offense through Cecilio. Uh, but he's the kind of player that whenever the ball falls in certain parts of the field in certain moments, he has the ability to, to turn that moment into something special. Um, and so we miss him for that reason, but we don't have to have him to, to run the game at all. I think he just makes certain moments a bit more dangerous for us. Yeah. And I mean, we talked a lot about depth and depth is, you know, you're one big injury or suspension away from whatever from not having depth. And that's where I feel like we are now, right? Like Ethan Finley's a perfectly serviceable winger. But then when you go to the bench, it's like super thin. And right. you know, and you and you need him to you're gonna need him to rotate. I mean, he's you know, he's got a fair amount of MLS experience and he's not gonna be able to start every match. And that's when you start to get in a position where you look thin like we were last year. Yeah, I mean, and already like last night, we did not put another winger on the field when we took Finley off. Uh, we put on a defensive midfielder and fullbacks and then just made do. And then whenever ring came off, Owen Wolf was playing right wing. And so we did not put in another true winger into the game ever. And so uh, Jared Stroud was not even on the game day roster. Uh, Musa Jite, another notable omission from the game day roster. Hoosen took his spot. And then I guess Owen Wolf took Jared Stroud's spot. Um, but yeah, it, it could be a little worrying if we are without uh, one of our starting wingers and are unable to to either get him back or uh, replace him anytime soon. It, it could it could get worrying at some point. Well, let's talk about good news. Do you like? I feel like maybe we found our center back pairing. If we could, if we found two guys that complement each other, seem to kind of their other roles. I feel like they really sort of naturally connected um, in this match in a way that. I haven't seen anybody necessarily do. Yeah, it's they they looked natural in it last night. Um Cascante was and has been doing this this season, but he's kind of been the guy to push up farther and distribute, which he's quite good at, right? Like he's good at playing the ball. So, uh getting up to do that, but then having Gabrielson sit a little bit deeper behind him. Gabrielson's a, a better uh, a better athlete than Julio. And so whenever a ball does come in behind, he's quick enough generally to, to get back to it and slow it down enough for, for other guys to recover. So that partnership seems to be working out really well. Uh, Minnesota played a lot of long balls and not many of them ever looked like they had much of a chance of, of finding a Minnesota foot. Those two guys were winning aerial duel after aerial duel, uh, heading balls away, bodying guys off of balls and, and heading it back the other direction. So, I thought they looked really good. I mean, Gabrielson still plays with fire a little too often. <laughs> and there was a couple of times where he'd do something and Stuver would would like kind of bark at him and be like, hey, dude, like, don't do that next time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but as far as like defensive positioning, defensive decision making, I thought he was he was really solid, and um, I thought yeah, Julio did a good job as well. So I, I had some conversations over the last couple of weeks about Keller. I know, I know there's a lot of like big Kip Keller fans. And after those first two games he played, rightly so, uh, he did great. But I think a way to frame this is like Kip Keller is going to be a very good center back. But if you're thinking about who has the highest upside for this season, and you just kind of look at these two guys on paper, this college player played two professional games ever versus a 30-year-old international center back, played in three different countries, been a captain of teams, most of the teams he's played for. Um, He's new, so he's going to need some betting in. I think it's worth investing the time in that guy, and I think last night we kind of started to see the fruit of that a little bit, why Josh was playing him over Keller. I don't he it's by no means because he thinks Kip Keller is bad because he is not bad. He's very good and he's going to be very good, but he's going to need some time. If he had played in all these games, I can almost guarantee you Kip Keller would have made some mistakes uh, just because young players do that. And so I don't I don't think there's any reason to be upset about this situation. It's a good thing that we have multiple good center backs and when we need that rotation, when we need some fresh legs, Kip will be there to get those minutes and will do a good job in those minutes. But um, yeah, I, I, I was very happy with what I saw for the most part from, from Ruben last night. Yeah. I mean, at a macro level, this will transition into the sort of the next position group. It's the same thing with Valencia a little bit. Yeah. Right? Like, like Valencia is a guy that nothing wrong with what he's doing. And he's a guy that needs minutes, but like Danny Pereira is not willing to give him the minutes in the same way that like this, this competition is a good thing. Like if we and having, players who are good players who aren't seeing the field as much as some people would like is also a positive. Yeah. Valencia came on, looked really good in all of his minutes so far. Really? I I've been impressed with him. I've really liked what I've seen. It's a very different uh, style in that position than what Danny Pereira brings. Um, but really aggressive, really strong in the midfield does a really good job of receiving the ball, turning and playing a quick pass. So I think he's a little less expansive, than, than Danny is, but uh, still really efficient in moving the ball around and then winning balls uh, on the defensive side. If you look at that in a vacuum, I would say like, yeah, let's let's put him in there. But Valencia can pretty much play the one position. Right, right. He's so not, He's not that flexible. And so I've seen some people calling for um, playing Valencia at the six and moving Danny forward to the eight. I think Danny would be less effective there. Um, I don't think he would be as much of a natural in those positions as uh, as Ring and Driussi. I know Ring does some frustrating things. I uh, we'll we'll get to Ring in a second, but Danny Pereira last night, I thought he was the best player on the field, and he is act- like putting his stamp on this position. And I think we're seeing Josh Wolf's vision for what he wanted Danny to be at the six. Danny is is coming into that and making it his own. And I don't want him to play anywhere else. I think he's so good. At, we're running the game through Danny Pereira. And there's moments, I know a lot of times last year, Alex Ring would drop back and pick up the ball off of a center back or whatever. There was times he had to do that to, to get out of pressure. Alex Ring would turn and give the ball to Danny. And so like, no, you're the quarterback. You do it. And he he did an amazing job and so i like i understand the temptation to kind of like play with it and move it around but danny Pereira is our six right now and you're gonna have to pry it out of his cold dead hands <laughs> yeah i saw this great stat from los nerdes verdes on twitter that talked about not only did he complete 70 passes which was 40 percent higher than the next highest player but he completed the most lo- most short, most medium, and most long passes of any Austin FC player. Like, if you don't talk about a guy that's involved in sort of every part of the match, I think it was a really good uh, number to help illustrate that. Yeah, he hit some dimes. Uh, some of those, like, those, like, Michael Bradley diagonal passes over to the wing, he hit some really nice balls there, which is a thing I don't think we saw. We always see him do, but he did a really good job of, of that um, last night. But 
Talking about Alex Ring. Oh, and Danny was also very disruptive in defensive transition, which is a thing he wasn't last year and was an asset there. Not just passable, but an, an asset last night. So um, excellent performance from him. Alex Ring. I was very frustrated with Alex Ring at the end of the game last night due to a few. Uh, so he was part of some of those like being too unselfish moments and also played a few errant passes. Um, what was the one? Oh, there was a moment where Alex Ring was uh, got in behind in transition and was like faced up with a defender, maybe 10 yards out from goal and had Driussi and Diego like streaking into the box and he played it behind them. And in the moment I was livid. I was absolutely livid that he misplayed that ball on the rewatch. St. Clair did a good job of cutting off that angle. Uh, He was, so ring was trying to like thread the needle and played it where he could, but it was the angle wasn't there when he needed to play it to get that ball on. So uh, on the rewatch, I actually think Alex Ring was really good last night. I think a few a few poor moments, but as far as like influencing the game, moving the ball, uh, winning balls, um, putting in some crosses, I thought he was eighty five percent, like really really good, and then just a few poor moments. Well, his moments were super obvious, right? Like his moments were yeah. a lot in fi- either indecision finishing or making the wrong decision and finishing, right? That's what that's what people see. You know, when he would when he'd be out, when he would be in the box of the ball and he would I think he ended up taking I think he took three shots, which tied Aruti for the lead on the team. Aruti scored one goal and had one cleared off the line with his, you know, and ring shots were not great. I think that's what a lot of people reflect on is just how public the bad moments were. Yeah, and like I said, on the rewatch, I didn't think all of those moments were as bad as I initially did. Some of them were. Uh the one so that that ball that I was just talking about was the, the maddest I got at him. The second maddest I got was um, we were playing it out of the back and Ring drops into a spot and like demands the ball off of the fullback and they play it into his feet and he immediately turns into pressure, didn't see a guy and just gives it up right there at the top of the box. And I was like, if if you're going to demand the ball you can't lose it like that. Like not you, like you're Alex ring. If you demand the ball, people are going to give it to you. You're not allowed to lose it after that. (laughs) Yeah. Do, do something good with it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but like I said, I y'all at me, if you think I'm wrong, but rewatch that game and watch Alex ring just in the little moments, those little like Diego moments that just like constantly finding the ball, constantly linking up, constantly moving it along. I thought Alex Ring was was overall very good. So before we go to DC United, I don't know if you had any other players you wanted to talk about. So let me open that up. I don't think you do. I want to get the 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 announcer guy. The new announcer guy has been really good, and I like love the energy he brings. Oh yeah, to the game, it's... and we have and we haven't talked about him. I just wanted to make sure before I before we got on from that, I forgot about it. Like he's it's a nice touch and it's a nice additive thing to the stadium experience. And like, he understands the supporters and kind of understands the crowd. And I think he fits in really well. Yeah. And it's whenever he rolls those R's and Uruti, it's amazing. That's, I think that's what really struck me was when Uruti scored that goal. And it was just rolls the R for about 15 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome, but it made me even more excited about that goal. And so I didn't want to let this game get away before we threw a shout out to him. Cause I don't know that we've done that yet. All right. Uh, are we ready to move on to our DC United preview? Let's do it. All right. Give us our history lesson, Jeremiah. Okay. DC United, founding member of the league, 1996. Uh, early days under Bruce Arenas. They were very successful. I think it was like 96 to 99. <clears throat> a lot of their history is like, a lot of their success is very almost ancient history in terms of MLS now, but they have won four MLS Cups, four Supporter Shields, and three U.S. Open Cups. I wrote MLS Cups twice in these notes, but it's the U.S. Open <laughs> Cup is the other, is the second one of those. Uh, one of the things that I remember because we both listened to that Grant Wall podcast on Freddie Adu, uh, American Prodigy season one. So it was the original MS, MLS home of Freddie Adu, and the one thing I didn't know until today was that in two thousand, I think it was seven when they traded him to RSL, he was like Nick Romando was the throw-in 
on that deal going from DC United to RSL, which I thought was like, that turned out to be a great deal for RSL, but not for the reason they probably thought. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Nick Grimondo went on to become a legend for their team, and Freddie Adu went on to be Freddie Adu. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they played at RFK from 96 until 2017, which I think became a real albatross for them, right? It was like one of these big, empty NFL stadiums. I think maybe even the Washington football team had moved by then, so they were like the only occupant of a rickety breaking down NFL stadium, but moved to Audi Field. Yeah, which R- is RFK close. Was, was famous for uh, housing squads of raccoons and, <laughs> exactly. and other animals. They, so they moved to Audi Field in 2017, which is in D.C., close to where the Washington Nationals play. Um, last year, they missed the playoffs for the second consecutive season. Barely finished behind the Red Bulls for the last playoff spot. And then we were looking into, like, finding ways to make this interesting, but they're really just kind of a boring team, right? Is that what we ultimately <laughs> settled upon? Yeah, I haven't gotten to watch a ton. I've seen just some highlights and maybe half of a game. But, um, but yeah, they don't, like, don't know what to point out in their highlights. They've scored five goals in five games. Did you already say all this? Did you say that? No, the, I haven't yet. I haven't, okay. done, haven't done any of the 2022 stuff yet. Okay, so yeah, they've scored five goals in five games. They've given up five goals in five games. Uh, and so, and then like uh, they've got, um, what's his name? Edison Flores was brought in maybe a year and a half ago or so. And he was supposed to be like their big star guy. And he just like hasn't been that. Uh, Julian Gressel came in a couple of years ago. I think he had essentially, I think he came in and like more or less demanded to play on the wing. And so they're playing him as an attacker and he just wasn't like having much of an effect. And so they finally moved him back to fullback, which his best days in MLS were playing fullback for Atlanta United. And so they're playing with, um, like a back five with like high flying wing backs, Julian Gressel on the right, which he he's really good in that position and really dangerous. And then Brad Smith on the left, who was at Seattle last year. Um, and he's quite good over there as well. So those two guys can hurt you uh, kind of making up for um, Paul Areola not being there anymore. Kevin Paredes, I think was also playing that left wing back spot. And when he left, that's when they brought in Brad Smith to kind of fill that hole. Uh, and then they brought in a new new striker, Michael Estrada, who um, had a, f- a few good games um, in those two wins, I believe, that they had this year. So uh, another name that might be familiar to people, Andy Nahar. Uh, do you remember what country he's from? Because he no. was like roasted the U.S. in he did World right Cup qualifying like for a yeah. half. And I let me look this up. This is embarrassing. He's from Honduras, but he like roasted us for a half. And then we like, we scored four goals in the second half and beat them four one or something. But, uh, Andy Nahar is, is on his day, a very good player. <laughs> um, so they, they, and, uh, is it Ola Kamara? Ola Kamara. Have, yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. Not Kai Kamara. Kai Kamara is, uh, in Montreal, somewhere else. But they have Ola Kamara there, uh, Michael Estrada. So they've they've played a few different guys in those in those front spots and in the midfield, but uh, seem to be like a pretty defensively solid team. Um, and like I said, I haven't watched them a ton, but those those uh, those wing backs that they have, I think, could be dangerous in beating us in transition, but. Um, I think this is another one of those, like if this were at home, I would be pretty confident in saying that we should, we should win this game. Uh, but the fact that it's on the road, um, makes me have a little bit of fear about it, but you just never know what you're going to get. I mean, just, it's weird though. Cause you just look at the names. Like we just went off, we just named through like half a dozen guys. You're like, yeah, collectively this, these guys should be okay, but they're not. I mean, they're what 10th in the East. They've lost three matches in a row. Um, just not a not a whole lot of identity with DC United, despite having some players that are relatively household names. So Austin are on the road in DC this coming weekend. They'll they'll be back at home against Vancouver, another winnable game, and then on the road to Houston. So I know on the last show we were talking about how many points we wanted to see in April, 
And so at this point, we're at four. Is that right? That's right. And what was the number that we ended up on? Either eight or nine. Okay. So let's game this out. Let's say a draw in D.C. That puts us at five. A win at home versus Vancouver puts us at eight. And then and on the road in Houston could easily be points as well. Like that's that's an achievable result there. Houston is is playing fairly well. They're uh, right behind us in the on in the table, so not necessarily the pushovers that they were at times last year. Uh, and a team that also beat us last year. <laughs> so, um, but it's it's an achievable result, and so I think eight is like feels conservative at this point. Hopefully, we're not disappointed, but um, I, I think they can do it. I think nine, nine or ten is like not uh not unreasonable and it yeah. it's in really good shape uh you know going forward yeah absolutely uh all right anything else we need to cover jeremiah i think we've covered it all all right we would like to remind you to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts uh spread the word tell a friend let them know about the good news of moon tower soccer if you want to continue the conversation, find us on Twitter. I'm at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at jbrintley underscore ATX. And then we are at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram, where our most popular posts I've ever posted are uh, videos of Ruben Gabrielson's babies on the field after the game. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, again, sign up for the Patreon if you have a few bucks. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. And then visit the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, what should folks look for there? There are two things I want to point out. One is Phil West writes a really good MLS notebook article that apparently, according to Phil, not enough people read. And I think <laughs> you should because it's a really good overview. And then also just know that with whatever happens in the Cecilio Dominguez story, Chris Bills is all over it and is going to have the best analysis and the most objective analysis you can find about what's going on. So I would, if you were looking for a place to follow this story um, beyond like rumors out of Paraguay on Twitter, I think Chris Bills is probably a good source for that. Yeah, Chris isn't going to be involved in the rumors, but once there is uh, facts coming out, Chris is going to be in the know on those things and is going to be talking to to the sources he has and will write, I'm sure, a great article about it. So, um, yeah, stay tuned there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the DC United game and then preview both the U.S. Open Cup midweek and the Vancouver uh, match at home. And then any other Austin FC news apps between now and then. Until then, I'm Lenny Gottam. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye bye.